You're listening to the main event podcast, episode 20. Let's get it. You're listening to the main event. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The doors of the church are now open. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the main event. I'm your main man, the main attraction, Jermaine Parker. That's right. You get another weekly dose of... Me and my bullshit. I'd rather be with you and all your bullshit. Anyway, welcome back. Hey, look, if this is your first time coming to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. For those returning, I say thank you for your support. Uh, without you, this is just me talking to the microphone. You are the world's greatest audience, and I love you so much. Hey, do me a favor. Go to my website, www.themaineventpodcast.com. From there, you can actually uh, look at all the catalog of podcasts we've done. Like I said, this is episode 20. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I should pop bottles for this. I don't know. It's kind of, it feels like it should be like a milestone for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're on episode 20. Uh, you can check out all 20 episodes. You can see a little bit about uh, me and the podcast, uh, some of my background and stuff on the website. You can check out the equipment uh, list that I have that I'm using because I had some questions about that and, like, you know, how are you doing it? And in fact, I need to finish up. I'm uh, supposed to be uh, writing down how-to podcasts, and there's a lot of great uh, places out there that uh, I got my information from, and so whatever I have, I'm going to share with you guys and put that out there, too. Hey, you can also go to iTunes. If you got an iPhone, uh, you got a podcasting app, search for me on your podcasting app, The Main Event Podcast, or by Jermaine Parker, um, Google Play, Spotify, we in you. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where you can find the main event. And, uh, like I said, thank you so very much. You know, uh, go to the website, uh, give me a like, uh, if you were pleased with uh, this week's episode or any episode and, uh, drop me a comment. You know, I can never get better unless I hear from you, the audience. Uh, like I say, I do what I do for you guys and, uh, I really do appreciate it. Hey, I, I, uh, I gotta take a moment out of this week's podcast and, uh, give a special shout out. Uh, happy birthday, Natifa. Uh, this is your birthday weekend. Um, I don't know anybody else which is with as much beauty, poise, and grace as you and Queen. I hope that you have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. I know that you don't like being out on blast and you don't like attention, so I'm going to try to keep it as brief as I can, but really a truly wonderful, inspirational human being, and I just hope that you have a beautiful birthday. Um, and, and, and with that, you know, hey, this should be a celebration, not just this weekend, but this whole month is supposed to be a celebration of black history. 
I think my last podcast it took me like 30 minutes. <laughs> I remember it was like Black History Month and include that in the podcast. I wanted to plug it early. So I wanted to make sure I jumped on that early this podcast and we talk about our, our black history and, um, all the things that that means and stuff. And, you know, um, if somebody said, um, February, we celebrate black history all year long. February is just our anniversary. So you dig, uh, just like we celebrate our lives all year long and on our birthday, we turn up a little bit again, shout out to the for turn up. Um, but, uh, yeah, we should be turning up, uh, this weekend. We should be partying. Uh, we should be celebrating, um, hell. I, I mean, I, I, drinks, dinner, movies. What's, what's some movies that came out this week? Um, you know, a movie that did come out this week, uh, Cold Pursuit. And I don't know if you heard about this one. This is a movie, um, it's, it's sort of, it's, uh, the star is, uh, Liam, uh, Neeson. And it's sort of like it's taken, he's a star taken. Uh, sort of like the rest of his movies where he's going around taking guys out. And it's like a, a, a story of revenge and stuff. Um, and as we celebrate black history, you go, well, what's Liam Neeson got to do with black history? Uh, not a motherfucking thing, really, except for this. Um, Liam was actually doing, uh, press for his, um, uh, doing press for his new movie and stuff. And he, uh, he had this to say. I'll tell you a story. This is true. I'm not going to use any names, but I, I came back and she told me she'd been raped. But she handled the situation of the rape in the most extraordinary way. But my immediate reaction was I asked, did, they, did she know any of the No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. I have an up and down areas where the cush hoping I'd be uh, approached by someone. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could yeah i didn't make that shit up <laughs> why 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 in the middle of our celebration do we always get interrupted by this bullshit actually you know again you know this is just our anniversary month and uh we suffer this through this kind of bullshit all the time and um so let, let me unpack this for you because i always say context is key and uh although immediately offensive and so, uh, Cold Pursuit, I hear, uh, was trashed at the box office this week and it probably had something to do with this clip. If you listen to the entire interview, uh, what Liam was trying to, uh, he was trying to talk about, he understood that, uh, like his character in the movie, uh, revenge and stuff, uh, because he had this friend and he wanted to get revenge. And so, I mean, you just heard my man, you know, he's talking about you, he, he wanted to kill any black bastard he saw. Uh, to get back for this revenge. So, um, you know, when we talk about black history, but really it's for it in, in, in my household, it's education for other people. Cause we talk about black history and contributions and the, uh, the greatness that is us, uh, year round, uh, for my girls and stuff. But 
uh, we, we, we truly like to educate and share our culture uh, with other people during Black History Month. And it seems that um, a lot of people ain't getting the damn message. Um, now, uh, I will say that Liam actually, he goes on to say that he, he sought out some help for his anger and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, I think he, he, he's, he's, uh, he's Catholic. So he went to the Catholic church and was a priest and some other stuff. And, you know, and as he says, I'm, I'm ashamed of it. it really, honestly, um, I think he told it, he was telling the story as a example of how revenge doesn't lead anywhere and how he was ashamed that he even felt like that and stuff. Um, and I think he should be able to tell his truth. I really do. I think, I think that he should be able to share and tell his truth, especially if it's for the, um, for the educate edification, uh, of, of other people, the, the betterment, their, their, their upliftment where they go, okay, well, Liam Neeson had these feelings too and stuff. The, the only thing that I don't think that he was really ready for was the blowback that he was, that he received, uh, because of that. And because so the, and cause you know, nobody wants to think that they're racist. And I don't know how many other things you can say, um, that will qualify, uh, for some racist ass shit. Uh, because so, you know, in, in, in the revenge category, if somebody was to do something to my, my child, um, I wouldn't lay that at the feet <laughs> of an entire race. I lay that squarely on the shoulders of this person who did something to my child. And that's where the, the overt, uh, racism, I mean, you go, well, he didn't do anything. He's, but that dude was walking, he literally was walking around. He said, you know, he's ashamed of it, but he literally was walking around and there was some innocent dude that could have got fucked up. Um, because he was, he had a weapon, uh, that could have got fucked up because he's taken out his anger and stuff. And pushing that onto, uh, black people as a collective. And, you know, that's dangerous. That's, that's, you know, that kind of narrow mindedness, that kind of, um, that narrative that has been put out there over and over again, uh, whether it was people talking about super predators, or whether it's, you know, oh, well, you know, black guys are extremely athletic. The, the stereotypes and stuff that are put out there about black men and the super, superhuman, uh, agility and strength. And, uh, that's the reason that you got to go full bore when you're dealing with black dudes because if a black dude get a hold of you like goddamn bull. You just got to hang on and stuff. Um, that over exaggeration or our masculinity and shit, um, used to revert and, uh, justify um when people uh go to extremes when they're when they're around black men because you know we just we ah, you know <laughs> scary as hell um and that's some bullshit that's actually how trayvon uh ended up uh trayvon martin uh who i think would have been 26 i had to look at it um but his birthday was here not too long ago and you know he doesn't get to celebrate his birthday because um, of George Zimmerman walking around with a chip on his shoulder and the suspicious black guy, uh, narrative. And so he decided he was going to do something about that. And so that's why, uh, 
it's not only um, impractical, it's, it's dangerous to have these kind of attitudes and stuff uh, floating around. And, and, and like I say, in, in, when you look at the whole interview and stuff, um, he was, he, he was, he was apologetic. Um, but I think that the, the last own for him is to own up that, you know, that was racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was, that was racist. Um, it's easy to get mad at stuff. It really is. It's easy to get mad at stuff. And it's just, it's, it's human nature again. Um, you know, as a father, I'm protecting my children. Sometimes to my children and stuff. Um, but I, I lay that down on the offender and not the general's, uh, I was going to say the gender cause it rhymed, but that's some bullshit. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? I, I, w- I was going to lay that down on everybody. Um, it just goes to that person, you know, one of the things in, in, and believe me, um, I, you know, I've talked about this on, uh, past podcasts, you know, slavery was over in 1863, a hundred years later, um, legalized, <laughs> you know, we went from slavery to Jim Crow and that shit lasted for a hundred years. You know, we are in the, you know, it was 1965 with civil rights, um, we, we are not that far past that. We, 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 when America wants to forget about some bullshit, uh, they want to ignore timelines and stuff. Um, and th- that's the timeline that we're really working under. And so I, I, I say that to say that like my, my mom grew up, my, my grandfather was a sharecropper in North Carolina. Um, uh, my mom grew up in a, in a racist South, uh, a highly racist South. Um, she was born in the fifties. Um, so when we talk about the ability to be mad at a race, I don't think a, a, black people aren't mad at white people. We're mad at the racist institutions and systems that oppress us all. You know, I, you know, <laughs> Liam, you fucked up. I mean, that's it. I mean, you just don't, I mean, I'm glad that he tried to tell the story and, you know, I, I kind of get where he's coming from, but I mean, he's still racist and still fucked up to say. He, he, you know, it was, um, I, I almost want to tell people, uh, here, here's, here's the deal. If you have done something, uh, racist, um, and, 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 I, and I hesitate to say this, keep that shit to yourself. Just, 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 just keep it to yourself. Unless you think now, cause that, that shit right there, that shit would have never came out. Liam Neeson would have never, ever had to explain that to anybody. Not a, a not one damn time. Now there's some other shit that you might do that you might have to explain. I don't know if like you were the governor of Virginia and there were some blackface photos of you. Maybe, maybe not. You admitted to it one day, next day you didn't. Um, and then <laughs> find out that there's more people in Virginia. And now, if anybody's surprised <laughs> that there's people doing racist shit in Virginia, Again, look at your timelines, look at your histories, um, go, go, uh, walk around. I bet if I could pick you up and sling you around, I could sling you into a Confederate monument in Virginia. Um, I'm, I'm, ooh, I'm, <laughs> I am not shocked. I'm clutching my pearls like I'm surprised. Like, oh shit, I'm so surprised. No, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. Why would I be surprised? Um, there's just, and I just don't understand how many people are doing this whole, 
blackface thing, like I can't even keep up. Even when I was, you know, preparing for the podcast this week, more allegations of more people showing up in blackface. You know, but again, it's Black History Month, and we got to do a little education. But you know what? For this one, I'm gonna hand a little education off. I'm gonna let you uh, listen to my boy John Avalon from Reality Check on CNN. He's got some words for you. Another blackface scandal turning Virginia politics into a crisis. So just where did blackface come from? And why, after nearly 200 years, is this still an issue? John Avalon has your reality check. Look, I get that William Faulkner warned us that the past is never dead. It's not even past. But why in the world are we still bedeviled by something as stupid and cruel as blackface in 2019? In the past, we've seen Virginia week. We've seen Virginia Governor Ralph Northam resisting basically universal calls for his resignation after his medical school yearbook page was discovered showing someone in blackface next to a guy dressed as a member of the KKK. Then, in one of the worst press conferences in modern political history, the governor said he'd won a dance contest as Michael Jackson after applying shoe polish to his face. Not only that, this week, Virginia's Democratic AG Mark Herring copped to wearing blackface at a college party in 1980 while trying to apparently look like Curtis Blow. And then we found out that Virginia's Republican Senate Majority Leader Tom Norman edited a 1968 Virginia Military Institute yearbook loaded with blackface, Confederate flags, and other racist tropes. It's been a big few months for belated blackface awareness. After all, Megyn Kelly torched her NBC gig after a cringeworthy conversation in which she couldn't quite get why blackface was bad. And just yesterday... Gucci was forced to pull a $900 sweater off the shelves because, well, just look at it. So, let's do a Racism 101 reality check on blackface. You know the phrase Jim Crow? It was a common term for segregation laws that tried to roll back the results of the Civil War and resist civil rights for almost a century. But you might not know that Jim Crow was the name of a popular minstrel act in the 1800s, which was performed in blackface. And that's just an indication of the foundational pain the institutional racism that's beneath what some people apparently think is a party trick. In these past few days, a clip from the Spike Lee film Bamboozled has been circulating online, and it shows some of the legacy of blackface in American culture, from the KKK celebrating the birth of a nation to black and white comedies, cartoon icons, and even musicals starring celebrities like Judy Garland and Bing Crosby. This was a reflection of the segregated times they lived in and the culture they inherited. But even with generous discounts for youthful idiocy, there's really no excuse for perpetuating blackface in 1984. What we're seeing now is how much the scars of our history persist, often perpetuating hate under the more comforting labels of heritage or even humor. This is a teachable moment, but it is absurd that this lesson still needs to be taught. And while some conservatives delight in pointing out that Democrats are to blame in two of these cases, they'd like to ignore the fact that their last Senate nominee in Virginia, Corey Stewart, was a full-on neo-Confederate aficionado. Or the GOP Florida Secretary of State, who just resigned after photos of him in blackface as a Hurricane Katrina victim surfaced. Or that Congressman Steve King has been spouting white nationalist nonsense for years, and that the President still sees very fine people on both sides after Charlottesville. The toxic legacy of slavery and segregation flows downstream from our culture into our politics. But projecting current values on the past can be tricky business, just as demanding zero tolerance for long past mistakes can eliminate the virtues of learning and forgiveness. But we need to agree on this. It is long past time to leave the legacy of slavery, hate, and segregation that is blackface on the ash heap of history. And that's... And so, 
And and so I understand this when we talk about um, blackface and and if and, and my boy John actually uh, brought up um, more controversy. Gucci nine hundred dollars sweater. Uh, if you hadn't seen um, you hadn't seen the picture, uh, go to the website because the um, the uh, main image for this podcast will show you what what I'm talking about. Um, but it's crazy. As John said, you know, it, it's a teachable moment, but damn, why are we still teaching this? Why is this still a problem? Why does it seem that this stuff never goes away? It's not just Gucci. Prada's pulling keychains of a little figurine that looks like little blackface. You know, it's just like comedy. There's some people that's laughing uh, with you and there's some people that's laughing at you. And blackface is laughing at black people. It's not funny. It never has been. It's it, it was rooted in racism. For people to think that it's okay, it's crazy to me, especially now. You know, in a society that claims to have come so far and wants to be absolved of any past wrongdoings, we seem to have a knack for bringing up shit and reinventing the same racism over and over, just turning it over and over again. You know, like I said, it's it's Black History Month. This is not how we want to spend our month. You know, when when you still have people out there in blackface, when you have a senator from Mississippi, Cindy uh, Hyde-Smith, uh, talking about she'd be front row at a lynching. You got Steve King, who's for years <laughs> popped off uh, with racially insensitive shit. And these are our leaders, supposedly. And what we like to do or what society would like to do is, is, is try to make this a, a here and there kind of thing in, you know, just a spot here and a spot there. But that's not what it is. And, and I know a lot of people go, well, man, that was 30 years ago. Here's the problem with racism. It's like a disease where you can never know if anybody's really cured. I don't know that the governor is cured of his perceptions, which are dangerous. You know, D.L. Hughley likes to say that the most dangerous place that a black person can live is in a white person's imagination. Because in that imagination, I could be anything and it makes me, and it makes me anything and it makes me dangerous. It makes me subhuman and it makes me vulnerable to being persecuted because people are afraid of something that I'm not really. And so these caricatures of black people have really got to stop. Like I said, a lot of people say, well, look at his policy since then and look at uh, his behavior and the things that uh, he's done since then. And I'm all about redemption. I really am. Am, am I going to sit here and tell you that I'm the same person I was 20 years ago? I'm just not. Uh, a lot of things about me have changed for the good and for the bad. And I'm just not the same person. I don't, I don't believe the same things that I believe and stuff. But again, how do we know? And, you know, it's one of those things like we were talking about, you know, in the, in the Governor Norton's case, you know, there was one guy in blackface, there was one guy in a clan hood. You know why they wore hoods? 
they wore hoods. So when they went back to being police officers, when they went back to being your doctors and your lawyers and the mayor, when they were the DA, that you didn't know what was still in their hearts. And that's kind of what we're talking about when you do this kind of stuff. We don't know what's in your heart. You know, Liam Neeson, you know, he kind of expressed what was in his heart and he was, and he sounded remorseful for it. And and I'm willing to, and I'm willing to me personally, and I I don't speak for um, black people. In fact, there's not one person that speaks for all black people, just in case um, this black history month, we will educate people that too. We don't have a national representative. Um, I, <laughs> I know there's a lot of people out there who, who would like to claim the title of national black representative. It's not Kanye. It's not Candace Owens. It's not one of the most, uh, uh, fucked hards out there. Um, that, you know, we, 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 we are not that kind of organized where we allow, uh, a certain number of people to speak for us. Um, but you know, for me, uh, because I could kind of hear the pain in his voice, man, because he was really embarrassed by having that thought. And I think a lot of people are embarrassed when they have those thoughts too. You know, especially now, if you like me, you have grown and stuff and you're, you're ashamed of some of the stuff that you've done in your past, you know, and you just kind of want the past to be the past. But when it comes up, I, you know, the, the challenge is, is to accept it, acknowledge it, um, and talk about how you learn from it and what you're going to do more in the future along the lines of saying that I'm past that. And that's not, that's no longer who I am, you know, cause for me, I look at all that and I think to myself, we really have come a long way in a short amount of time because it hasn't been that long, but we still got a ways to go. You know, they say you can't heal what you don't reveal in America, we have to reveal a lot of this stuff so we can acknowledge it and then move forward. You're never going to move forward if you or if you're hiding the things from your past and you don't acknowledge that they actually happened and they had impact. And it was and it was it was less about uh, what you thought or what you wanted and what actually happened. You know, I'll be the first one to say that you know there's a lot of stuff that I've done that has impacted other people and it's not the, it was not my intent to hurt anybody. It truly wasn't. Um, but that's what happened. And I, and you know, and I had to suffer with those consequences, the repercussions of my actions, uh, no matter what the intent was, you know, like I say it's, it's black history month. And, you know, we talk about black excellence and stuff and, but th- there gets to be a point where you got to stand up and you've had enough and I, I tell people, um, I'm not going to be triggered every week by the socially engineered shit to keep you distracted out there. But it just, it does seem like a lot. You know, I, I was sitting there and I came across this clip and I don't ever think I actually heard Rosa Parks, um, uh, speak, but it's Black History Month. And, uh, if you don't get it nowhere else, I never heard her speak, but it, it, it kind of goes to what I'm saying about just being done. As far as I can remember, during my lifetime, I resisted the idea of being mistreated and pushed around because of my race. And I felt that all people should be free regardless of their color. And when the driver demanded that we give up this seat, I felt that the time had come to not take it anymore. I had had enough, and this was truly the end of being pushed around. And... You know, it, it is. Sometimes you just got to stand up and go, you know what? That's the end. I'm not going to do it anymore. And so with all that being said, 
uh, Black History Month, uh, we need a do-over. We might have to go into March. Um, because there's just been so much, it's <laughs> been so much bullshit in the first couple of weeks of Black History Month. It's kind of killing a brother. We try to celebrate and uplift the people and stuff, and we continue to have the same over conversations and stuff. And, uh, it's important that we move past that stuff. Um, that, that if we need to have a conversation, let's have a conversation, but then let's move forward. Um, you can't always be settled, um, down in the way that you used to do things. Um, you, you gotta be able to move forward. And to that end, let's talk about a little bit of leadership. Um, so I'm an Air Force guy. I've been in Air Force for almost 22 years, between two and April. And, um, this, uh, we've had some, we've had a lot of good change, uh, in the military, uh, at least in the airport, in my, my standpoint. And, um, we actually have the, uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, highest ranking enlisted guy in the Air Force, uh, Chief Master Sergeant, uh, right, uh, who has been, uh, called enlisted Jesus. And, um, I can see why, uh, really, really sharp guy. Uh, when you talk about black history, he's a, he's, he's a black man. Um, he is an excellent role model and has handled himself with, uh, far better the grace and dignity than, than I believe I can muster. Um, but, uh, they actually announced a, a kind of a big update. And I, I'm going to let you listen to Chief talk about it and then we'll discuss. One of the main questions that at least we've seen online is what's next? <laughs> What's next? <laughs> uh, so, so the big thing, uh, the big thing that that'll come up next is the elimination of uh, the testing, uh, WAPS testing for senior non-commissioned officers. Really? So, uh, any any uh, promotion process that where we have a board will will eliminate the the actual test, uh, uh, the the PDG. Uh, and I, and I know there's not everybody agrees, not everybody thinks this is the greatest, greatest idea, but, but same thing. So we've been talking about this for about a year and a half now. Uh, we've done, uh, a lot of research, uh, a lot of, uh, data mining on what the potential impact and outcome will be. And what it really, uh, came down to is in order for, for me and every commander and senior leader in the Air Force, you know, what gives us the greatest level of confidence that we're promoting the right people. And uh, we feel pretty confident in the board process uh, that, that we have when we sit down and we look at five years worth of performance reports. We look at the entire uh, portfolio of decorations and then other data, data verification, briefing, surfing, and some of those other things. And uh, we feel pretty confident that we can select the right leaders based upon their performance and what they've done uh, in terms of how well they've led the level of Job responsibility, breadth of experience, and all those things that we look at on the on the board, <clears throat> and so we really no longer need uh, the test. So, Chief, why do you think getting rid of the CNCO WAPS is a good thing for the Air Force? Yeah, so I think it's a good thing uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is I'm uh, very confident in the process, the board process that we use to select our our senior leaders. Um, so we, you know, we take a look at five years worth of performance data and then an entire career's worth of decorations. So, so really, an entire career's worth of uh, performance data and then you know other things through the the, the basic information. 
Uh, and I, again, I feel pretty confident that the, the information that we use, the process that we have, uh, gives us the highest level of confidence that we're selecting the right individuals, uh, for promotion. And frankly, uh, we no longer need, need the test as a discriminator. <clears throat> as a, um, one of the things that we realize with, with testing is, um, you could be an, average to below average performer and test your way into a promotion that you probably don't deserve. You can be an excellent uh, performer and test your way out of a promotion that you likely uh, deserve. And, and so we wanted to eliminate that bit of inconsistency in the process. And oh, by the way, one of the fringe benefits, I would say, is, man, we get to uh, give senior non-commissioned officers a ton of time back. So most of us, I would say, spend anywhere from four to eight months studying, preparing, really memorizing the things from uh, the, the, the PFE. Uh, now, you can use that time to focus on family, your own personal resilience, uh, taking care of your airmen, your cat, your dog, whatever, whatever things you want to do at that time. Uh, but, but primarily I think this is a good thing because, uh, again, it, it really focuses, you know, who we're promoting to our, our highest ranks. Um, it focuses the, it places the focus on their performance, what they've actually done in the career, the, those things that we, that we value. Um, and so, uh, and like I mentioned before, there will be, <clears throat> I think some dissenting opinions, which is okay, and we've taken all that in, into consideration, but um, for the most part, uh, our data has shown us that this is the right move for the Air Force right now. So for you non-military types, in the Air Force, what happens is, active duty Air Force, is that um, there are several tests that guys have to do, and they're on a testing cycle for when they make their ranks from E1, uh, or from, excuse me, from e, uh, E5, to E9, uh, your first uh, uh, couple of ranks are time-based. Uh, you get like e, E4 at um, uh, three years, I think it is. But after that, you start testing for rank. And uh, it's a, it's not just testing. It, it's supposed to be a total uh, person concept where they're looking at your awards and decorations and some other things too. But um, and your uh, performance appraisals, uh, your written performance appraisals and stuff. And so what the uh, the Air Force has decided to do is to kind of reclaim its time. And so for the last three ranks, uh, they're not going to – they're going to take away the testing part of it because there's actually a board that sits down and reviews packages and stuff. And um, as the chief was talking about, um, it's it's – kind of been the theory that a lot of people might who are who aren't really good test takers uh, miss promotion opportunities and people who are get promotion opportunities when maybe they didn't deserve it and um so it's a small change with a big effect and so uh enlisted jesus chief master Sergeant Wright, has been doing that kind of stuff in fact um uh, when we talk about um uh, performance reports, the enlisted performance reports. Uh, one of the things they got rid of was the E3 enlisted performance report. This this is a person who's been in the military for less than two years. Like, what are we? What are, what am I grading them on? Uh, not dying. Uh, so they got rid of some performance before some performance reports, and now they get rid of some testing and stuff. Um, one of the other things that uh, they changed. Uh, I know they're looking at changing. Um, 
uh, some uh, PT, physical training requirements, um, changing the test to be more accurate to w- what you're doing instead of just some arbitrary, you know, push-up, sit-ups that we're doing. Um, but one of the, you know, they got, uh, we, we're changing uniforms, um, uh, getting rid of our ABUs, um, and, uh, just, a, just a lot of, a lot of little changes and stuff. Um, uh, small change, big effect, just talking about getting time back. Um, when you get to be, uh, up in longer the tooth like myself, um, based on your rank, there's so many years that you can stay in. So basically, and I'm just going to throw it out here, and it's not accurate, uh, but when you get to be E7, let's say that it's 22 or 24 years, and let's say that you make that rank at um, 17 years in, um, what you would normally have to do is, is every couple of years you'd have to go back and reenlist. And so what that does is it starts a, a, a paperwork process over and over again. And what uh, Chief Wright uh, and his advisors came up with was that, you know what, if – you're a senior guy and you become a senior NCO, E7 and above. We're not going to make you reenlist. We're just going to extend out your enlistment to the end of whatever your rank will carry you to. And, um, the misconception, cause I put this on Facebook like two years ago when it came out and people were like, ah, they're letting people stay forever. And it was funny enough from people in the Air National Guard who'd really stayed forever. But what it, uh, does is, or what the perception was from some people was is that uh, if you got a guy and he made 87, he was guaranteed to his 22 or 24 years. And that's not what they were saying. Um, what they're saying is that we're just not going to do the paperwork anymore. We're, we're, we're going to do our paperwork all the way out to the end of what your rank will support. And now if your commander wants to get rid of you or if you do something stupid, you're gone. Um, but hopefully we've, we've, we've vetted you. you you've, you've got some rank on you. And you're in a position of leadership. Hopefully, you're the right person for us, and we've done our job before we put you in that position. Um, and that, um, for at least for disciplinary reasons, we're not going to have to get rid of you. Um, but it wasn't a, a ticket to stay as long as you want. It was just that hey, we're, every time we do this, we generate paperwork um, uh, in the squadrons, um, and, and just you know, we're just filing more paperwork. And why are we filing? We need. We, we only have so many hours in a day. Uh, let's take that out of the equation and uh, get some of our time back. So we're just reclaiming our time. And so it's just little changes like that uh, that are important. So when, when I, I, I encourage people uh, this week when we talk about leadership and stuff, and as you, as you listen, listen to enlisted uh, Jesus, uh, enlisted the chief, um, it's, it's a lot of small changes that they're making that are having really big impacts. And so in your leadership, I encourage you to look at some of the things that you can do just to get a little time back, some of the small changes in your workplace and in uh, uh, when you run your team and stuff like that or you're running your small business, you know, because a lot of times we're looking for big corrections, big results and stuff. And I'm, I'm telling you now that some of your smaller corrections that you make can, can yield you some of those big results, whether it be in time, uh, whether you're giving it back to your employees, um, or you're just taking it away from an area that you really don't want to concentrate your time in. Um, and that may be as simple as buying a program to automate a process for you. Um, it could be as simple as looking at your processes and eliminating the step because that step is, um, is covered somewhere else. 
and you're just having a lot of duplicity in the things that you're doing and you're wasting time touching things two or three times uh, when you only really need it, um, to uh, be pre- be precise and touch it one time and be accountable and know what you're doing when you touch it. Um, and that way you don't have to keep coming back over and over and over again, spin your wheels on the same thing over and over again. So like I say, it's, it's important uh, for uh, this week at least when we're talking about leadership um, to look at the things that you can do, uh, small changes for big impact. Um, I did want to end, uh, I, I've been, uh, I have offline talked to some, some people and, uh, we're, we're talking about, uh, some of the, uh, the things that I was talking about in real estate, which, uh, again, I'll be home. I said, man, uh, I'm almost done with this course out here in Oklahoma. I'm almost back to Charlotte. Um, get at me. Um, <laughs> um, I got like two more weekends in Oklahoma. Hopefully, hopefully, um, the weather holds out, schedules hold out, airplanes don't break and I get to fly everything scheduled and I can get out of here. And that would mean I only got two more weekends here. Um, in that third weekend, I'll be on my way back home. So hopefully, uh, three weeks from now, I'll be on the road, headed back and I'll still do a podcast, uh, from wherever I am. Um, luckily for me, all my shit's mobile. So I'll make it happen. But, um, uh, I, I, you know, I've been talking about a lot of things with the real estate because real estate, I think, is a is a great way for passive income. And uh, I was actually going to post some pictures on my uh, Instagram. I'm going to do that later on, maybe not today because I'm doing some studying stuff. Um, but just some ideas for passive income. I, I've talked about them, and some people are asking me about some ideas and stuff. Now, here's what I'll say: they're just ideas. Um, the 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 first thing I would tell you, um. And I've said it before is that if you can pay off your debts, um, then that you can consider that passive income. So if you, if you pay off a $200, $300 car payment, then you can have that $200, $300 coming in just like you were going to a payment and, and you can do that and you can start building up, looking for other things. You know, I've talked about the vending machines. Um, I, I see things online talking about like, you know, a laundromat. Okay. Well, if you, if you get that kind of, Big bowling, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about some simpler things, but if you, if you do have some money, like one of the things I put out there is like, you know, like a truck, um, uh, 18 wheeler, uh, if you can, um, if you can, uh, find one and, um, just be the owner and find an operator, find a driver that and split the profit for runs and stuff, um, you can make cash and help somebody else, uh, make cash. Uh, food trucks, I, I was personally looking at that, you know, trying to, figure out if I could invest in a food truck and then, um, you know, uh, get somebody in the food truck serving up delicious snacks and stuff. Um, and then splitting the profit with them, you know, that way I'm an investor in it. And, you know, I don't believe me, you do not want my cooking. Um, <laughs> I, I always tell people I didn't get this big eating air, but I definitely did get, I didn't last as long eating my own damn cooking. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, just ideas that I want to put out there for you guys, um, uh, for that passive income. Like I say, I, you know, I, I got my license. Am I trying to sell you a house? Of course I'm trying to sell you a house. Absolutely. Because I'm going to work with you and I'm going to find you a property, uh, that you can get somebody, get somebody into. And like I say, for first time home owners, you know, maybe we can find you a property that you can do Airbnb and rent out one of those rooms. And that's your passive income. You know, if you're single and you get like a three bedroom house, 
Uh, you need to make one of them, you need to make one of those rooms work for you. You don't need to let it sit there and be stagnant. You need to put that out there, um, and we can find you some property and stuff uh, to make that happen. You know, it's a uh, it's been a good week. Uh, like I said, um, it's Black History Month, and uh, we probably need a do over at least half of March. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what we can we can salvage in these last two weeks. Hey, don't be uh, don't be too distracted by what's going on. Uh, you know, stay focused, stay positive. That's one of my uh, things. After uh, the beginning of the year for me, I'm I'm trying to ign- uh, not ignore because some of this shit you just can't ignore. <laughs> you know, you, you can only give you can only give uh, people a pass uh, for some shit uh, for a little bit. Uh, you can't ignore everything. Um, but you know, what have we learned this week? We learned this week that um, we're gonna we're gonna try to be more positive. Um, that we're gonna hold people accountable, but we're not gonna hold ourselves hostage to these things that are going on and they're so distracted we can't focus in on uh, being able to better ourselves and make money. And uh, when it comes to leadership, we learned that we're gonna make some small changes, looking for a big effect. And that's what you do when you when you, with an airplane or even with a ship and stuff. You don't make big corrections on the rudder. Or even when you're driving, you don't make those big sweeping corrections on the wheel and stuff. You make small corrections, and that's how you change your course and stuff. So that's what we want to do. We want to change course uh, of all this conversation, whether it be the negative stuff, uh, whether it be our inability uh, to get our teams motivated, or we're just not uh, where we are fin- where we want to be financially and stuff. We're going to make these small corrections. We're going to see a big change and stuff. And um, you know, normally I go out on my outro music, uh, but this week. Uh, in honor of Black History, um, uh, got a uh, his name is Yusuf Th- Thomas, um, uh, former Army guy, uh, completely hilarious. Look for uh, I'll tag him <laughs> for his uh, for his uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram stuff. Make some funny skits and stuff. And you know, uh, I thought this was a totally inappropriate song. Um, but I'm gonna play it anyway because I love you guys and I want to put a smile on your face like I put a smile on my face listening to it. Uh, cause sometimes it just be some bullshit. And if they did have Death Row records back in the, uh, 17, 1800 and stuff, I'm sure it would have sounded like this. Hey, on the way out, I love you guys. Thanks for showing up. It's the main event. Check out the podcast on www.themaineventpodcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Check me out. I'm your boy. Hit him up. Let's go. I ain't no motherfucker. Fuck that. 1863, bitch. Fuck out of here. I ain't taking shit, baby. You're making me happy. Happy birthday, Matt. First up, fuck Master. KKK. I'm a fucking day. You clean it. Come on, order. Smash my wife. Mix kids. Feel good. Be about that life. Okay.